So this passage, listen, I know we're working our way through Luke. I, I know. I'm studying it and I'm looking into it. I know, right? I know. But this is one of these passages today that has all kinds of the things. Just all, all kinds of the things, all right? This is nugget central, right? This is like dig in. What was it, Craig? Yeah, it, it, they're there, right? And there's this, um, there's this I, I, I promise you, if I just worked our way through and we stopped when we needed to, or we just took the things that we needed, we'd probably be just in this one for like three weeks, <laughs> all right? And, and maybe we will, but I'm going to try to keep that from happening, all right? I'm going to try to keep us moving forward. The other thing about this passage is you all know that we'll just work through where we work through when we work through it, and where we are, that's where we are. Well, we're at Palm Sunday. I know we're about three weeks from Thanksgiving or something like that, but we're on Palm Sunday, okay? That's where we are. And, and the song says, I want to be where you are, so this is where we are, all right? All right? And this passage is a study it is a a a a an example it is a total just representation of beautiful contrasts like there's so much going on and then just like in our lives and in trying to understand who God is there's so much of the opposite going on in our understanding and our feeling and what we think God is versus what God is and what we understand God is versus what God is and what we know God is, but how can he be this way? And the questions that real people ask, and it's all over, all over what I'm about to read for you, okay? So Jesus, Jesus has told his final story. He's not made his final statement. But Luke's parables and all, teaching the people, getting down on his knees with the children. It's like a farmer. It's like a seed. It's like a man who went out and, and left and left some money and they came more. It, the kingdom of heaven is like, it is like. He does all of these parables, the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. I want you to understand, right? He tells the last parable. And then he kind of does this. <clears throat> I love you. Let's roll. He turns his face to Jerusalem. He puts his head down. He turns his eyes forward. And he says, come if you want. But I'm off. Make no mistake. He both wants to go. He looks into the eyes of his disciples. He looks into the eyes of every stranger passing the road going the other direction. And he wants to go. And at the very same time, he don't want to go. If you have ever read about the Garden of Gethsemane, if you've ever heard the pain in his voice, if you've ever realized the physical stress that was on him, if you've ever experienced somebody so overwhelmed that they bled in their sweat, you know that he both wanted to go didn't want to go, but Jesus went. Now we're set up, right? We're set up for Jesus. March forward. Go. Complete. Do you think he could hear the, you know, Jesus is both yesterday, today, and forever, but Jesus is bound by his skin, but he's not bound because he is God, and he's all those things we can't fathom. 
Do you think he could hear the words from a week later already? I don't know. I don't know if he could or not. But boy, wouldn't that drive you? So close to the Father that you know without knowing you are, you know. He's omniscient, omnipresent, omnipotent God, right? And God and G, I, I, I can't, I, it's beyond my understanding. But I just have to believe because of who he is. That at the same time, he is, let's roll and I'm, I'm going to hurt, I'm going to die. He's also... After Jesus had said this, I just taught this verse. <laughs> After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. Random, but a lot in here. As he approached Bethpage and Bethany, now he passed a lot of places on the road, but they choose two places, Bethpage and Bethany, all right? Never caught this. Reading last week, you know what I learned? Bethpage and Bethany are not just cities. They're not just places Jesus did things. They have a literal meaning. One is the city of the figs. The other is the city of the green figs. The city of the not yet ripe figs. On his way to Jerusalem, he passes two places, and the Bible writer decides to mention those two places. On his journey, he passes figs and figs that aren't ready. Figs that are there to do what figs are supposed to do, and figs that if you tasted them, they would be bitter. They would be not at all figs. We had taught about this. They would be pre-figs. They look like figs but they're not really figs. On his way into Jerusalem, he's going to find people who call themselves believers in the Messiah. Some believe with their heart, others don't. And that's who kills him. Religious people. Come on, they did that on purpose. He passes by those who are semi-ripe and those who are ripe. At the hill, <laughs> he passed by them at the hill called the Mount of Olives. What is going to happen on the Mount of Olives? For the righteous and the unrighteous, for the awesome and the not so awesome, for the broken and the believing. Jesus, listen, 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 listen. Our salvation depends on our choosing him, but he died for all. And so in the middle of these two towns, at the spot where the Mount of Olives is, where he would cry and he would grieve, and it's the garden of what? Gethsemane, which we've already taught you, is the Hebrew word from Gat Shamanim, which is the olive pressed. That would be pressed and crushed and broken to bring holiness and righteousness. journey and there's all of this symbolism happening all around him 
I will walk through the righteous and the unrighteous. And though they look the same on the outside, they are not the same on the inside. But I will die. I will be crushed for them. And then it just takes this odd turn. These powerful images that we, we as church people sometimes never know. And then all of a sudden, Jesus turns to two of his disciples and he says unto them, run along, hustle down to the village and you will find a colt and donkey and the other word, a young foal, all right? And he will be tied up there and no one will ever have been on this particular donkey. So I'm sending you to a place where there is a colt tied to a gate that's never been ridden. And when you get there, it's going to be there. Now that in and of itself would be impressive, right? In and of itself, if Jesus from miles away says, go here, there'll be a colt. It'll, it'll be, uh, uh, the owner will be standing there. You're going to have to explain it to him, but I'm going to give you one sentence. It's going to take care of it. That would be cool in and of itself, but that's not it. Hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before all this took place in the book of Daniel, there was a timeline set forth, a timeline set forth, marked on a very specific day that if you roll through the calendar in and out of all the things that happen biblically, this day, this day, hour, this time, the king would enter the city. Not only that, but Zechariah would say, and he would ride in on a donkey that had never been ridden before. Come on. Now let get this straight, Jesus. You want to keep it a secret that you're the Messiah. But you don't want to keep it a secret at all that you're the Messiah. You're going to be king, but you're not going to be kinged. You're going to reign, but you're going to not reign. You want to make a statement, but humility is the goal. Now, in general, there should have been anywhere from 50 to 100,000 people in Jerusalem. It's a lot of people. Okay, at the time of the Passover, it would swell, and swelling would be 200, 300,000, right? That would be a pretty good swell. Oh, no. Scholars estimate that there would have been between 2 and 2.3 million people in Jerusalem at this time. And sweet little meek Jesus decide, decides. <clears throat> it's been laid out for hundreds of years 
that this baby will live this long and ride in on this day at this time on a mule, a donkey. You do realize that when a king entered a city, especially if he was going to take the city or rule over the city, he would come in just like this. They would find the, the biggest, brightest, whitest, beautifulestest stallion they could find, sit him on top of it, and he would ride into town, and they would wave branches, and they would throw things before him so his feet didn't touch the ground. Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. But it wasn't a big horse. It was a little donkey. But the people knew too. Because it wasn't this... It was more like... You know it was! And his disciples are like... It's all messed up. I mean, they didn't know whether to be like, yeah, or wah, wah, wah. It's crazy. And then, and this is telltale, ripe figs. People with heart. People who see and know people who by faith believe. And when he came near to the place that goes down from the Mount of Olives, the crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in a loud voice for all of the miracles they had seen. In Psalms, it says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They quote the psalmist, but they change one word. The psalm says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. But these discipling peasants... Staring at the guy on the donkey, go, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory to God in the highest. This is a play on the word multitude. There was a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and singing glory to God in the highest and on earth. Peace to him on whom his favor rests. When was that? At the birth. And now the servants, the true servants, and that's what angels are, messengers of God. They are singing glory to God in the highest. Peace and heaven and glory. Same song. Same messengers. Come on. And the unripe figs and the fakers and the ones who dress right and walk right and talk right pardon the way I put, put this but the ones who get most pissed off when you call them out did that hit? did that land? when you confront them the shoulders go back the indignancy comes over them how dareth you and they have to say dareth Part of it, they speak in King Jimmy. 
Thou shalt not approacheth me in that manner. And then they say the darndest thing. Teacher. Okay. They're, they're struggling with what to call him right now. Because they want to say, hey, you. <laughs> but they can't. Hundreds of thousands of people are ready to crown him in some way, form, or fashion. Still without understanding. We need to, we need to say that. Even the best of them had no clue. Again, contrasts. Rebuke your disciples. We will have none of this here. We will have none of this here. There will be no parade. There will be no making this individual from Bethlehem of all places. This son of a carpenter. No, not on the biggest day, not at the biggest festival, not on our watch. And Jesus gets this silly, smirky, I am the God of the universe and you have no clue because I'm on a donkey. He gets this smirk on his face and he looks over and he says the most awesome, weird, odd, beautiful, confusing thing ever. Well, if they don't, the rocks will. You know how much is in there? Can I ask you a question? Do, do, you, do, do, you want, do you want the God of the universe to need an inanimate object to cry out in your place? Do you have a desire for the trees to do what you're unwilling to? Or do you even fathom the power the glory that it takes to draw praise out of something that is unable? Because God says, I'm, oh, church, don't miss this. I'm offering you the opportunity to see me, know me, experience me, praise me. I don't need your praise. I want it. But at the end, it's not about me. It's about you. I want you to have it. Wait, wait. And as, oh my gosh, and as he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. Why is he moved to tears? Because he, he can fathom the difference between fully sovereign and fully merciful. We can't understand it because we've never seen it. Sovereign means ultimate reign, ultimate authority. I control everything that happens. But mercy means 
I have grace and an overwhelming outpouring of love in the midst of error. So how can you have fully sovereign reign and be able to deal with error? Back to what we talked about a minute ago, because the errors don't make him unsovereign. And then Jesus weeps. Why? Because in less, in less time than you can imagine, the city will fall. Jerusalem is about to fall, and he knows it because they don't get it. And his sovereignty allows something he doesn't want for them, for them. He's looking at them and he's weeping because it didn't have to be this way. The rocks didn't have to take your place. The oceans didn't have to take your place, but you chose yourselves. And because of this, I weep for your loss. Not because I have lost anything. My plan will endure. We win. You just don't get to see it. And I weep for you. Sovereignty and mercy in one guy. His heart broke for the jerks. The ones who would yell, Crucify him. Free Barabbas. It would fall. And for 40 years, it would lay waste. Now listen to me. That's not unfamiliar territory either. You know what that is? Same as it was in the wilderness when the people wouldn't take what God promised them they wandered around in the wilderness until the decision makers died off and the next generation could take over. Jesus is looking for people who want to cry out, want to praise him, want to serve him, want to recognize him. If you, any of you, had only known, if you'd only known that this day would bring peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. He's talking to the disciples. He's talking to the good folks. You remember I said it's not just the religious. He's talking to them, and here's what he's saying. You love me. You praise me. But you don't understand me. You think that when I ride in here, I'm coming in on a white horse. I'm not. You think when I ride in here, I'm ascending a throne. I'm not. You think when I ride in here, I'm going to win. Listen, I'm not in the way you think I am. You think when I come in here, I'm going to reign. I'm not. I'm going to die. And because you don't understand, you can't see. They don't see, they don't not see because they're blind. They don't see because all of their preconceived notions are in the way. Church, hear this loud and clear. 
For most of us, I'm not worried about whether or not you believe in Jesus or not. But when it comes to growth, discipleship, and changing the world, do you believe in the Jesus you see or the Jesus he is? Do you believe in the Jesus that's been painted for you in pictures on the wall or in Vacation Bible School? Or do you believe in a Jesus who is heights, depths, beyond anything, any scope of your imagination? An ultimate sovereign God who is ultimately merciful. Do you believe in a God who could reign over you and instead would die for you? Do you believe in a God who conquered sin and death, the only things unconquerable on this earth, and then got up to say, peekaboo, I love you. Now let's go. That's a loose translation, but it's close. The days are coming upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you. They will dash you to the ground. You and the children within your walls. The city's coming down. I'm going to stop there. Because we, the next section fits, but, but there's enough there for us to really dig into. All right, so we'll talk about what the people, we know what the people did to Jesus in this passage. We'll talk about what they did to the church in the next passage. My hope is that each day there is a morsel that you find, that you chew on, that is sweet and or savory, sometimes bitter and or sour, but those things are just what you need to know him more. Remember Ecclesiastes said there's a time for everything, a season for everything under the sun. Laugh, cry, mourn, weep, all the things in the song that we know, turn, 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 right? But we think that that is a buffet. Christians treat those things like a buffet. I'll take a little laughter, but you can keep your morning. I'll take a little happiness, but you can keep your dark days. I'll take a little sadness because sometimes a good cry is good, but I don't want any of that death stuff. It's not. Experiencing Jesus is not a buffet. It's a multi-course meal. And it is the depths and the heights that make you appreciate it. It is the light and the darkness that cause you to grow. It is the soil in the seed underneath, dying and breaking open, that brings forth a flower that you cannot fathom. All of it is necessary. There is a time and a season for everything under the sun. Every day I want you to find a bit of that Jesus. And I want you to know him. And I want you to make him known. And I want it to overwhelm you so that all you can do is cry out, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And normally the next thing would be Happy Easter, but, you know, Merry Christmas. Let's pray. God, I confess and I repent that even in the um, ridiculous ability to understand, comprehend, and communicate that you gave me, I fall incredibly short of any real comprehension of, of, of the passage that I just preached. I, 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 want, I want, I want to know, 
I, I want to understand. I want to uh, uh, thank you for the psalmist's taste and see that the Lord is good. I, I want to. And so thank you for the bites. Thank you for the Gerber. Thank you for the baby food. Thank you. But I know that I, I, I know that I don't have it. So I'm saying more please. Um, more please. So that I might teach with some significance, so that I might uh, be a husband of some value, that I might be a daddy of some worth. Teach me more about a sovereign God and a humble God. Teach me more about a powerful king and a merciful Lord. I want to know you. I want to seek your face. I want to know you more. And I pray that for everybody in this room. In Jesus' name, amen.